You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Hey, is y'all grabbing a seat? Can we just praise Jesus for the hope we have in him? Man. Danny Henderson, our uh, pastor of pastoral care back there, about to have a fit just up here worshiping. <laughs> good stuff, man. So good to be with y'all. If you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. Um, man, I'm, I'm pumped to be back with you guys. I guess y'all know I, was, I was, had the opportunity to, to fill some, try to fill some big shoes in the worship center for three weeks while Pastor David was gone. And then uh, last week, my wife and I got to take the kiddos to, to Florida to go on vacation and see the family, which was an awesome time. But excited to be with y'all and be in Colossians uh, three. And we'll dive in here in just a moment. As we were back in Florida and got to be with family, we had some, some really, really sweet times. You can have some amazing times with family. I remember uh, one of the nights we were at my parents' house and my dad had set up this little tiny blow-up pool and my kids, you would have thought it was like, like Joyland. Or not Joyland, what's a... Uh, Water Rampage, thank you. Yeah, like they were going crazy in this little tiny pool. Sweet time, dad cooked an amazing dinner. Really, really good time together. It's one of those times where you go back uh, to get, go to bed that night, and you're like, man, that was an incredible time with family. That's kind of one of those like high moments. Well, then that was, I think, that uh, Thursday night of vacation. Well, then that last Sunday, we flew back out here to Lubbock and flying home for, I guess, travel time was about 13 hours. Um, and as much as I love our two-year-old twins, you can imagine that traveling like that also presents some of the low aspects of family time. I remember we got, so we flew from Jacksonville to Houston, had about an hour and a half layover there, two-hour layover, and then flew from Houston to Dallas, had a four-hour layover there before we flew back to Lubbock. And I remember we first got to the Dallas airport uh, and we're walking around. And I see this dad with his son, who's probably about six or seven years old, old enough to read. And can you read at six or seven? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Noob. Anyways. Um, and uh, he's walking around the airport and this dad has a shirt that says, kids stink. It didn't say kids stink, but you get that anyways. And I was, I was offended. I'm like, dude, your son is with you. How dare you wear a shirt like that? But if I'm honest, by the time we reached Lubbock, I was kind of like, can I borrow that shirt? Like, you just kind of start feeling. So again, there's like these high times in parenting or in, in family, and then there's these, these low times sometimes. The reality is we probably are apt or prone to be the least Christian around our family sometimes. I see some heads nodding. Props to you for not saying amen, making it weird with who you're sitting with. But yeah, it can be, it can be, difficult to live out your Christian faith with your family. I don't know why that is. We could expound on that, but we're not going to. Um, but the reality is scripture has expectations for how we are to treat our families, how we're to interact with each other. Really, the question we want to answer today is, if you've been raised with Christ, how should you interact with your family? How should you treat each other if you've been raised with Christ? That's the question that Colossians 3 presents us. And here's what I want to do before we before we really dive in, um, I'm gonna ask us to have a moment to pray together. And first, we're gonna talk to uh, children, kiddos, however you wanna say it, and then we'll talk to parents and, and really mainly fathers. And I'm giving you that heads up. So if you're sitting with your family, dads, moms, as I'm talking from scripture to the kiddos, don't look too hard down the road because your turn is coming soon, okay? You with me? Um, 
So we're gonna, we're gonna pray together. And here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask if you are uh, a child or a kid, and I would even say like, if your parents are still alive, so I'm gonna include myself in this, that you would pray that you would have an open heart to what is said from scripture. And I'm gonna also ask if you, um, if you're a parent or grandparent, you would pray for your kids. And also pray for yourself that you would have an open heart. And I'm gonna, I know, like I'm kind of looking for some of my young adult college students here. You could, I, I wouldn't blame you at all if you're sitting here. Like it would be natural for you to think, I guess this today is not exactly like for me, not really relevant. Chances are, Lord willing, like you're gonna have kids at some point. So go ahead and get a leg up on this. Does that make sense? Like don't wait till however many years later, like I should have listened to the sermons. Like go ahead and dig in now um, and see what God does in your heart. So I'm gonna shut my mouth and give you guys a second to pray and ask that God will work in your hearts. Cool? Go ahead. God, thank you for this amazing church, Southcrest. Thank you for the service we get to have. And <clears throat> I pray that we would lean into this moment. God, that you would give us open hearts, that you would drive away, tear down distractions and even objections in our own hearts to your word. But instead, that we would come receptive with open hands, ready to hear from you. God, thank you for, for the fact that you love us enough to speak to us through your word. We trust that you're gonna do that now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. So again, the question, how should we interact with each other if we've been raised with Christ? Read verse 20 with me. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. All right, so we got two point sermon today. Here's the first point. Kiddos, if you've been raised with Christ, Obey your parents. That's, that's the first, if we can get that there, if we get that on the screen real quick for me. That's the first point. If you've been raised with Christ, you should obey your parents. You should do what they tell you. So listen to this. Sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is just obey your parents. What? <laughs> Think about that. As a student, as a, my teenagers over here, I know you're kind of scattered, but I got a lot over here. Sometimes the most Christian thing you can do, coming back from a disciple now, from camp, whatever, and you're fired up, and you want God to work in your life, God would simply tell you, just obey your parents. Doesn't sound that epic, does it? <laughs> That's what he tells you to do. Obey your parents. And the key is, if you've been raised with Christ. So we've, we've I, mean, I appreciate um, Cole and Tony and Richard did an amazing job preaching these past few weeks. And they did a good job of doing this, of showing that all of chapter three really points back to that very first word in chapter three, if, if you've been raised with Christ. So if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been brought into this new reality, you've been brought from death to life, you now have a relationship with Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins, because of that, you should obey your parents. In light of the difference Christ has made in your life, you should obey your parents. Or to add, or to really steal from Ephesians chapter six that talks about this, you should honor your parents. So do what's right even when they're not looking. Do what's right even when you haven't had a specific conversation about, well, they didn't technically say I couldn't go to that party. Like, no, honor them by doing what you know would please them. 
obey them because of the difference Christ has made in your life. And I also think we should lean into this. So this would tell us, children, obey your parents. This would tell us that scripturally, good parents, I would say like life bears that out that because what's true is not just true because it's in the Bible, it's true. It's in the Bible because it's true. <laughs> it's proven true in life. Good parents give you rules and boundaries. <gasps> Would you just shut your mouth, Brandon? <laughs> no, really, good parents are not, a, a bad parent does this. Man, hey, I just want you to figure out life for yourself. It's your decisions. I don't want to force anything on you. You do you. I, I'm only, I only, our kids are two years old. I know I'm a newbie at this, but I know that's, that's stupid. That's bad parenting. And I'm like, eh, I'm not gonna say that anyways. So if you have parents that say, hey, here's the expectations we have for you. Here are the rules we have for you. Here are the boundaries we have for you. As much as that drives you crazy, you should thank Jesus for them. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> I'm not, children obey your parents. The Bible expects that parents are giving things to be obedient to. Be obedient. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything. Now, obviously, in everything does not include if they're abusing you. If they're abusing you, that's not of God. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So, yeah, we'll come back to that. But if they're abusing you, if they're asking you to do something that would cause you to disobey Christ, then obviously you don't do that. But here's the reality. In 99.9% nine percent of your situations and maybe even a hundred percent for this room your parents aren't asking you to do something that would cause you to disobey God so you can't be like well I don't want to disobey God I'm pretty sure they're not asking you to do something that would cause you to disobey God it says in everything obey your parents and I think Paul had to include that because well Holy Spirit told him to but he included it because we're prone like our our uh, habit as kids, as children, is to want to pick and choose what we're obedient on, right? So I love what, apparently, apparently human nature doesn't change much. John Calvin in the 1500s said this. He said, um, sorry, where'd it go? You, you shouldn't obey only where it's easy and convenient and when it's what you wanted to do anyways. Track with that? Let's read it. Students, lean in a little bit. He said, you shouldn't obey only where it's easy and convenient and when it's what you wanted to do anyways. <laughs> that's not really obedience. That's just doing what you want to do and your parents happen to agree with it. Obedience is doing what your parents tell you to do, respecting their boundaries, even when you don't feel like it. So you can't have buffet obedience. Like, well, I'm gonna obey here and I'll obey here, but I get, you get down here to the, like, fr to the whatever gross obedience and you're like, no, nah, I don't want any of that. I'm going to leave that. No, it's obey whatever they're asking you to do. It says obey in everything. And the reason he gives, as I think is kind of surprising, it could be surprising. He says, obey your parents in everything. Why? So it's not just do this, though he could say that. Scripture could do that. It gives us a reason. Look at the text. What does it say? For this pleases who? What's it say? What? Pleases, it pleases your mom and dad when you obey them. Which does it please them? Yes. What does it say? It pleases who? The Lord. So when you obey your parents, yes, you're pleasing them. Like I don't know any, any parents that are like, it just ticks me off when my kids do what I tell them to do. God gum it. I'm gonna spank you for being so obedient. <laughs> my sister, my older sister, I, this is still crazy to me. I remember one time 
she, her conscious, I guess the Holy Spirit, she was already a Christian by then, was so strong, she went and told on herself one time when she like, knew she had done something wrong, she went and told on herself and asked to receive a spanking. I'm like, I was probably, I don't know, five or six years old at the time, and I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, are you crazy? Anyways, that's random. Um, you should obey and honor your parents because it pleases God. So again, one of the most Christian things you can do as a, my kids are back there, two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old or on up to 18, whatever, is obey your parents. That pleases God. And I'll add to that, honoring your parents. There's never a stage in life where God's like, ah, you don't have to honor your parents. Honor your parents. Obey your parents. And when you do that, you're actually obeying God and you're, you're honoring the Lord. Again, it's, it pleases the Lord when you do those things. You're thinking about trusting that God does know best, that when he told you to obey your parents and honor your parents, that he actually knew what he was saying. Uh, I think sometimes we understand that when kids are little. So like, I think everyone in this room would probably look at little kids, like we'll pick on my kids, um, and say, yeah, of course they should listen to their parents because they're so little, it makes sense. But I think as you, and back up for, sorry, they should obey their parents because it makes sense. And because, yeah, God knew what he was doing. Two-year-olds need some guidance. But as, as we get older, we tend to not see that as clearly, right? We tend to not see that, man, God knew what he was doing when he asked us to, or told us to obey and honor our parents. And I think that, I wanna make a point here. Um, for the past, not since he was born, but for the past, uh, maybe a year, so last summer and this summer when we've taken the kids swimming at our friend's house or whatever, I've gotten in the habit of trying to, uh, not trying, I do, I dunk our kids whether they like it or not. And don't, I don't keep them under, it's not waterboarding, okay? But like, I, just, I just give them a quick down into the water. And anytime I say I'm gonna do it, they're always like, no, dada, but as soon as I do it and they come up out of the water, what do they do? Yeah, again, more. Or, or like, sometimes it's just like a stunned look, right? But um, I, I kind of forced them to do that, even though the, at first they hated it, they didn't want to do it, because I knew it was good for them. And I can prove that, because we got to go to, uh, I didn't put them under the water at the beach, that would be, like all the, my, bar, my eyes are burning, I didn't do that to them. But uh, we got to go to a water park, and they had all these little kitty slides and stuff that were actually pretty, pretty awesome. Like, I went on a few myself. And... Um, when they would come off the slide, they would always throw them into the water, like head under the water. And Haddon and Carolina Tate, I'll mainly pick on Haddon for a second. He, when he would, almost every time he came off the slide into the water, he would get up and he didn't look scared, he didn't look mad, he would get up and go, yeah! And I'm like, great job, it was like a you know, five foot slide, but it was awesome to him. I think had I not, a year ago, when he hated it, begun to dunk him in the water, he would have been ticked when he had his head in the water. Stay with me. At the beach, uh, so that was something I forced Haddon to do f- for his good. And you, probably no one would disagree. If you do, it's okay. I'm still gonna keep dunking them. Um, no one would disagree. Yeah, that was good for them even though he didn't want it. But I've also put restrictions on Haddon. So we were at the beach and Haddon uh, sees this boat way out there, like, I, I don't know, a mile out in the ocean. And he's like, Daddy, I go to the boat. Well, I'm gonna go to the boat. And I was like, go ahead, son. No, right? I, I, I'm not gonna let my two-year-old try to swim a mile out to the boat. And had he done it, I would have immediately enrolled him in the Navy SEAL program. Um, 
But like, I told him no, and he got over it quickly. I told him no, because I know you can't do that. Like, you, I can't, I'm not going to swim a mile out in the ocean to that boat. Um, and you certainly can't, so you can't do that. And again, no one in this room would look at that and go, Brandon, you are so restricting on your son. You should have let him do that. It's when, when kids are little, it's very obvious the need for parental guidance and boundaries and even pushing sometimes. As you get older, it's not as obvious that you need parental guidance and pushing and boundaries, but it's absolutely still true. And all the parents said, amen. The dynamic, while deeper, it's still true. I, at 34 years old, still need my parents' guidance. I'm not saying every day I call them, like ask permission for things. I probably should call them more, my wife would tell you. <laughs> it's good and healthy and right for me to still check in. Hey, dad, mom, can I get some wisdom on this? Can you pray for me about this? Because parents see things we don't see. What does that mean? It means students. Kids, you should trust your parents that they know what's good for you. When your parents say, hey, I'm gonna put some restrictions on your phone, as much as that ticks you off, you should trust them that they see that maybe there's some deep water out there that you're not ready for. Or when they say, hey, I'm gonna push you to get involved in this program. I'm gonna push you to do your homework first before you go play. Don't throw a fit because the reality is they see that it's gonna be good for you down the road that later on it's gonna allow you to like put your hands up in victory because they pushed you now. Or when they put some boundaries on your dating life and you're like, like I've told Carolina Tate, she can go on a first date when she's 47. Not really, totally care. Um, it is funny how when you have kids, you get a little more serious about your perspective on dating. Anyways, um, trust that they know what's good for you. You may say, you're sitting there and you're like, Brandon, my parents are just stupid. <laughs> They don't, they, they don't get me, man. <laughs> I've never heard these things, obviously. Man, they, they just, they don't, they don't, I don't understand. They don't understand me. Like, I just have a different perspective than them. You're right, you do have a different perspective. And listen to me, students. You have a worse perspective than they do. It's funny how I can look back to even like, I would even say early 20s and still think my parents didn't know much and the older I get, I'm like, my parents know a lot. <laughs> I've said this, I said this when we preached on a similar passage in Ephesians. Um, but before I did college ministry, now doing working with young marriage and all that fun stuff, but before then, so five years ago, um, I'm saying that's so weird, sorry. I spent 10 years doing middle school and high school ministry, and I tried, I didn't do a great job at it, but I tried to focus as much time on, on parents as I did as kids, because like Richard and Tony believe, we believe that parents are the primary disciple makers, disciplers of their students, of their children. Um, and in that 10 years, while there was the occasional freak time that you would meet a parent who you're like, man, I think they're kind of off the rocker, or like, I, I don't know if that's a healthy situation. The absolute overwhelming majority of the time, they were good, godly parents who cared for and cried and tried to do their best with their children. I think it's safe to say 
Again, I don't know every situation, but in this room, if I had to put my life on it, I would lean towards every kiddo in this room has some good parents. Again, I know there's exceptions. Like, I know there are. But you got good parents. Just because you have an imperfect parent doesn't mean they're a bad parent. So trust them. If you've been raised with Christ, obey your parents. Obey your parents. All right. Kiddos, you made it. Good job. Way to go. I'm gonna ask to do this. We don't normally pray in the middle of a sermon. I'm watching the clock, I promise. Um, I want students, children, kiddos, to take a moment to pray that God will click something in your heart where obedience comes by God's grace more natural to you. <laughs> if, you've not, if you've not been raised with Christ, it, won't, it can never be natural. And I want you to even consider this, write this question down, students, if you can, or put it on your phone. What if you went home today, or even in the car on the way home, what if you asked your parents, mom, dad, or just mom, just dad, whatever it may be, grandpa, could you tell me in love, could you tell me some ways I could be better at obedience and honoring you? There's no way that's gonna go bad. They're gonna tell you some ways you could get better at that. But I'm willing to bet that they're gonna be grateful and humbled, I don't know if that's the right word, but excited that you asked them that question. Mom, dad, could you tell me some ways I could be better at, being, uh, at honoring you and being obedient? It could be a cool conversation to have. I'm gonna give you a second to pray. And parents, I want you to begin to pray for this next part, that you would have an open heart. I'll give you a second to pray. Go ahead and do that. God, thank you for a church that has so many kids and children and students. And I pray they would feel loved here, but also challenged and encouraged to trust that you know what's best. And God, I pray for all of us that we would, at whatever age we are, we would learn to continue to grow in honoring our parents and to have healthy relationships with our parents. To the best that we can, even if, they're not willing to on their end. And God, I pray that as we begin to talk to parents, but even really dads here, that you would uh, just work in our lives. We trust you with this next few minutes. Amen. Look with me at verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I'm gonna read it one more time. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So here's our second point. We're gonna see fathers, if you've been raised with Christ, you should parent with the father heart of God. I'm gonna unpack that here in a second. But fathers, if you've been raised with Christ, again, it goes back to, to verse one of chapter three. If you've been raised with Christ, if you know Jesus, you've been set free from death to life, forgiven of your sins. If you've been raised with Christ, you should parent with the father heart of God. So he's saying, fathers, 
Don't parent so harshly or absently that you push your children to long-term discouragement. If we could kind of try to maybe say verse 21 a little differently. Don't parent so harshly or even absently that you push your children towards long-term discouragement. Parent with the Father heart of God. So I, I want to lean into this for a second. I absolutely believe, and, and really most pastors and scholars do, that the weight of this text should be felt by both fathers and mothers, that, that mothers, this is a good parenting tactic and expectation from scripture as well, that you, that you don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But no doubt about it, he's clearly saying that fathers as the head of the household have a big responsibility in parenting, that they parent in such a way that they don't provoke their children, that they get so fed up and beaten down that they're discouraged, long-term discouraged. He's talking to fathers. Again, don't want to pass over the, the ladies, the moms. Everyone knows that no kids would survive past age one month if moms didn't exist, okay? So actually, we would have no kids if moms didn't exist. Let's just, okay, that's maybe more accurate. <laughs> it's getting weird. Uh, <laughs> anyways, dads, I want us to lean, in, lean into this. Why does Paul, I, I guess we can ask him in heaven, why does he say fathers? Why does he call out fathers? I think a couple of things came to mind. I'm just thinking about it. Look at scripture. One, men, if we're honest, we tend, not everybody, but a lot of us tend to shirk our responsibility when it comes to parenting. I think in a generation before us, and maybe even still now, there's that, oh, that's women's work raising, but don't ever say that, by the way. Like, that's women's work raising kids. No, scripturally, we have a mandate, dads, to be involved in our kids' lives, to, to parent. So I think we tend to shirk responsibility. I think a second reason is that fathers have been tasked with, we can't do it perfectly, but doing our best with portraying the father heart of God. That when our kids look at us, while we see, they see that we're imperfect, they still get a glimpse of, man, that's what my heavenly father is like. And, and then the third thing I would say, again, you could probably, there's probably books written on just this one question of why does he call out fathers? The third thing I would say is, God has so wired children that their fathers, their grandfathers, and even I would say like, godly uh, male mentors can have a huge impact on their kids' lives. I did just a quick little bit of research on this, found, found some cool things. Um, the University of Pennsylvania did some research that found that children who feel a closeness and warmth with their father are twice as likely to enter college 80% less likely to be put in prison and half as likely to show signs of depression just by feeling a warmth and a closeness with their father. Uh, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, this is from 1990, so it's a little older. They did a, re a re 26 year long study uh, on empathy and children with father involvement. And they found that fathers spending regular time alone with their children translated into children who became compassionate adults. So they found a direct correlation with dads that spend just good quality time with their kids. They're compassionate, empathetic adults when they become an adult. Uh, some research by the Journal of the American Academy, sorry, Academy, Academy of Pediatrics, hello, um, found that, I'm gonna, there's a lot here, I'm gonna try to summarize it, that fathers who were involved in infancy, so meaning they're, they're taking care of their infant, they're playing with them, they're communicating with them, trying to talk to them, even though the kid can't talk. Um, 
found that when they did research at nine years old, I guess that was just a target range of, they're not quite yet a teenager, preteen, I guess what that would be. At nine years old, the kids who had fathers who were really actively engaged in their life when they were a, a young child, at nine years old, they had, I'm not saying this well, it was very clear they had less behavioral problems and they had more social competence. So, maybe just to get weird here, they're less socially awkward if their father was really involved at a young age. And it says being involved, some of that even being just rough housing and playing. I'm not trying to say I'm not socially awkward because I know I can be weird. Um, but I think about my dad, he did a great job of this. I can still in my mind picture even the room we would do it in. Me and dad and my two sisters, we would go in there and have wrestling matches. It was dad versus us. And we'd be like, and in the corner, Brendan Hayes at 33 pounds. That's not today's weight, but anyway. Um, uh, and we would, we would wrestle for until someone started crying, right? Like, and I think that had a part on like him raising me and my sisters, him being actively involved and getting down on the floor and roughhousing and engaging. So, uh, by the way, p- dads, I think that would tell you, so you don't have to always be like the very smart and wise dad. Just play with your kids. <laughs> Just have fun. All right, so that was a lot on why is he talking to fathers. We're gonna look at how we should parent, but here's what I'm trying to say. Dads, your kids need you. And they need you not just to be in the room with the remote, or as my kids say, the moat. They need you to be involved. They need you to care. Amen? Amen? <laughs> We're not in First Thessalonians, all right? Wrong page. Let's read it one more time. Fathers, don't provoke your children. So don't, don't embitter, don't irritate them, don't push them to the point, it says, lest they become discouraged. There's not much there, but the idea, I mean, like, it doesn't give us a whole lot of context. The idea, I think, is don't parent so harshly or so absently that you push them to the point of discouragement, that they feel like, what's the point? No matter what I do, I I can't please my dad. I can't do anything right, so I'm just going to rebel. I'm just going to be apathetic about life. No, parent with the father heart of God. I think there's, there is some helpful understanding, and he says, lest they become discouraged. So the goal of good parenting is not to discourage your kids. By the way, of course, parents, when you first lay down the hammer on your kids and give them some boundaries and rules, are they gonna be discouraged and pout? For sure. He's not saying they should never like be bummed about some rules you gave them, but we don't wanna, let me phrase it this way positively. We want to parent in such a way that they are for the long term encouraged. They have hope in their life and not hoping, oh, I could be an awesome person that they would actually, from a Christian perspective, hope in God. I love the way um, Piper says this. The goal is to, John Piper, the goal is to raise kids who aren't discouraged. What does that mean? The goal is to raise, ki- raise kids who are hopeful, joyous, confident, and courageous in God. It's a good word. I don't want to parent so harshly and so cruelly or so just apathetically they give up on God or give up on themselves. I want them to, wait, to parent in such a way that they are encouraged and hopeful and confident, not just in who they are, but in who God is. That absolutely rules out any form of child abuse. Now, just to draw the line real clear, the Bible is for spanking. Like, if, you, if that makes you mad, like, just read Proverbs, please. Like, don't try me on that one, Okay. The Bible is for spanking. 
Now, how that could look, that could look different, I know. The Bible's for spanking. I'll quit saying that. <laughs> My kids are not here right now, but they would tell you I, I spanked them. The Bible is absolutely opposed to child abuse. Amen. I think God would tell you, hey, big man, you think you're so big beating up your kid? You're going to come see me one day, and God's like, my arms are way bigger than yours, fool. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go here. Isn't it just crazy? I, I, in India, some of my buddies there, they told me that because, I shouldn't say this, but I've already started, so here I am. Anyways, they, because in some of the villages in India, they don't have um, the police or the state to intervene and bring justice, that the church, the men in the church often bring justice. So they told me, like, this is a true story, that there's been times where they find out like a man is abusing his family, and so the men of the church will get together, and they will go show that fool what is up. What I mean is like, it's not pretty. (laughs) I'm not saying the church should do that, but I do think as a church, we should provide a little more accountability to that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? And that's kind of weird. I'm not saying we should go beat people up. This is what they do in India. <laughs> he was like, it's kind of like the Christian mafia. I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I was like, that's so bad. Man, I'd be clear. I'm not saying we should do that. But I do think, men, we need to provide some accountability to each other. We can, uh, I'm, I'm off topic. Anyway, sorry. Back to topic. Okay. How do you do that? How do you parent in a way that's not provoking them, you're so apathetic or you're so harsh or you're so hypocritical in your parenting that they just, you're a joke. How do you parent in a way that you do that? I think one way is to be a telescope parent, not a microscope parent. Microscope parent, every little thing, you're like, you did that wrong? You could, you could have done that better. When I was your age, I did it this way. You should have done that better. Man, you should have been more like me. Or man, if I was you in your situation, you have kids today, have it so easy. You should have done that. And you pick apart every little thing. That's gonna leave them discouraged. You're just so focused on who they are and what, maybe what you wish you could have been. That's microscope parenting. Telescope parenting is saying, hey, I, I've got my eyes set on God and I'll pick on my kids since, yeah, and I could do a better job with this. But hey, Haddon, Caroline, take, this is who God is and this is what he says about you. Come, come look at God with me. Come look at how amazing he is and when we look at who he is, he's gonna... Speak back and tell us who you are and who you can be in him. See, microscope parenting does lead to discouragement. Telescope parenting, eyes on God, and hey, come with me and look at how amazing God is and what he says about you leads to confidence and courage and hope, not just in who, who they are, but in who God is. Does that make sense? Telescope parenting, not microscope parenting. Still, how do you do that? Two ways, and I'm, I'm, I'm stealing these two things. Um, from a sermon by John Piper, because I thought, man, he said this really well. Two things on, on he didn't talk, talk about telescope and microscope parenting, but just on how we parent without provoking. He says, number one, again, talking to dads, but talking to moms too, be happy and hopeful in God. He says, who you are may be more important than how you parent. you drag your kids to church, tell them how important God is, tell them how important the Bible is, but you don't have a close relationship with God, why would they listen to you? Be happy and hopeful in God. When Jesus is your everything, you may not be perfect, but your kids are gonna see that you love Jesus and that's gonna be attractive. That's that's winsome. (laughs) Second thing, 
So the first one was be happy and hopeful in God. The second thing, discipline in an orderly, controlled, and consistent manner. Discipline in an orderly, controlled, and consistent manner. Unpredictable, impulsive, hostile discipline makes children fearful, bitter, deceitful, and discouraged. They don't know where or why the explosion will come next. They begin to say to themselves, what's the use? How can I hope that being good is any better than being bad? And so the spirit of moral hope is broken and in its place comes calculated, deceitful, discouraged maneuvering. On the other hand, when discipline is controlled and appropriate and consistent and based on clear expectations, an atmosphere is created where children flourish in freedom. They know the limits and they feel secure and free to dream and play and plan and work inside those limits of righteousness. They begin to gain confidence that, hey, this is the way God is. He's not capricious. He is not impulsive or erratic or inconsistent. There is order. There is justice tempered with mercy. There is hope and encouragement. Why, I might even be able to accomplish something of value or even greatness if I depend on the goodness of the Father who loves me like this. Again, there's that idea we talked about at the beginning. When you discipline in a consistent, controlled, and orderly manner, it's not just that it's good for your kid, it's good for their relationship with God because they begin to see that's what God is like. God never wakes up like, dads for sure wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right dudes? There are days where you're just like, oh Lord of mercy, here we go, right? God, and I've said this prayer several times, God, you gotta give me patience with my kids right now, especially in the airport. God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. So when you can turn, as a dad, can turn to God, God, help me be consistent, help me be controlled, help me not parent in anger, you're reflecting the father heart of God. As we, as we finish, I know there's probably a thought a lot of us are having. I, I can't parent like that, or as a student, I can't obey like that. As a dad, you're thinking, man, I fly off the handle. I, I get impatient. As a kid, you're thinking, I just am so sick of my parents. I would remind you of what Colossians 2 says, that if you are in Christ, Christ, who is the hope of glory, lives in you. So because you've been raised with Christ, because you new identity in Christ, I mean, it's kind of like, oh man, it takes away your excuses. You can't say, I could never parent that way. I could never be patient. I could never obey. If you've been raised with Christ, Christ lives in you. And he's like, I'm ready to do some awesome work. <laughs> he's like, man, I'm ready to make you an incredible dad that reflects the father heart of God. I'm ready to make you a kid who wants to obey your parents. Philippians says that he gives us the ability and the desire to to live out our faith. So Jesus is saying, man, I want to work in you as a student, as a young kiddo to the point that you want to obey and honor your parents. So we can't say, I can never do that because Jesus is saying, I got you, bro, because I'm inside of you and I'm going to work in your life. Other of, uh, others of us would maybe say, it's just too far gone. Like the relationship's broken or man, my kids, they're out of the house and it's broken. I would remind you that we serve a God who is a way maker. Amen? What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? 
when we had sinned and rebelled against him and basically said, forget you, God, we want nothing to do with you, he left heaven's throne to come and to rescue us. He did what no one else could do. He lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve and rose again, offering us freedom and hope and forgiveness and a reconciled, means it's brought back together, a reconciled relationship with him. Jesus knows a thing or two about reconciliation. He knows a thing or two about bringing broken relationships and putting them back together. And I think, no, I know he will look at your broken family relationship this morning and say, hey, if you let me have a part of that, I can bring it back together because I'm the reconciler and I'm the way maker. And the cross is proof that he can mend broken relationships. And that can look a billion different ways, but don't doubt him, he can do it because he's done it for us in salvation. So this morning, we're gonna respond. And I think a couple of things that may be in order for you, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit tell you what that is. Maybe it's just to repent. That man, I've not been obedient, I've not honored my parents, or I've been parenting really harshly, I've been absent, I've not been involved. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus for salvation this morning. By the way, if you wanna talk seriously about some things, then we love to meet uh, our prayer team, when we're singing in a moment, we'll be down here and we have a really nice little sitting office or sitting area in the office right over there. We'd love to talk just through those doors. There's some clear windows, so there's nothing creepy, I promise. Um, we have a team that would love to pray with you and answer some questions you might have. So maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe as a kiddo, you need to go to your parents. Maybe you're in college, you're a young adult, you need to call your parents and say, hey, I've been a tool lately. Can I say that? Um, I've, been, I've been a jerk and I need to, I need to apologize. Or maybe as a parent, you need to say, hey, I, I've been a little erratic lately. <laughs> maybe this morning you just need to commit. God, I wanna obey my parents or I, I wanna parent my kids with the father heart of God. Or maybe this morning, you just need to ask God for some help because there's a broken relationship. You say, Jesus, I need your reconciling, redeeming, way-making work in my life and the life of my family. He wants to help, just gotta ask. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. And when we sing, I want you to stand and sing with us. There'll be some folks down here that would love to pray with you or maybe even go talk with you if that's the case. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you for the fact that you are the way maker, you are the miracle worker, you are the redeemer. Lord, we trust that in this time, you will move us to obedience. God, move us to confession. Lord, move us to confess and, and repent, even to family members. Maybe we need to make some relationships right. And Lord, I pray even for, for the folks in this room that maybe are in the de- demographic where they're out of their parents' house and having kids seems a long ways off. I pray that they would have on their hearts to continue honoring their parents and even tuck away some of these truths for when they have kids, God, for the way they're going to parent. God, thanks for for being with us. Thanks for working in us. And we ask that as we sing right now, you would draw us to yourself. It's your name we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 